Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, one short verse here. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Grass withers, the flower fades, word of our God stands forever. So we've been doing our series in the Ten Commandments for several weeks now. This is the seventh week, I think, in our Ten Commandments series. And again, to reiterate the point, why are we doing a Ten Commandments series? We are doing it out of love for the gospel. And yes, when you want to highlight the love for the gospel, one of the clear aspects of the gospel is the proclamation that mankind is a sinner before a holy and righteous God. That the gospel comes to us in a context. That it doesn't just come to us as good news. Jesus died for you with no undergirding or no reason for him dying for you. Uh, if Jesus just died for you as an example of selfless love, it's kind of silly. There's no actual substance to what he is doing. The gospel comes to us in a clear context of Jesus dies to save sinners. Jesus dies to save sinners. And so we look at something like the Ten Commandments just to clarify in case any of us have any questions that, yes, indeed, you are in the category of sinner, which is not good news on its own. But it's good news in that because you are now a sinner, you qualify to hear the good news of the gospel that you could be forgiven of your sin and reconciled to this holy God that you have transgressed. So we are working through the Ten Commandments really to highlight, hopefully, and to plant in this church a joyous love in the gospel that we would be centered upon the good news of who Jesus Christ is and what he has done for sinners, which is all of us. So this morning we get into commandment number five. It is the, we talked about a few weeks ago, the two tables of the law, that the, the, the Ten Commandments come down on two tablets and we don't know for sure which was on what tablet and what, what commandments were where, but kind of typically it's referred to as the two tables of of the law. And in the first table of the law is what love for God looks like. The first table of the law is what love for God looks like. And that's contained in the first four commandments. Have no other gods. Worship the right God rightly. Do not take God's name in vain. Honor the Sabbath. Rest properly in God for who he is. Those first four commandments are on the first table of the law. It's what love for God looks like. And then the second table of the commands, the second table of the Ten Commandments, is what love for neighbor looks like. So the two tables, what love for God looks like. The second table, what love for neighbor looks like. And the first commandment we come to in the second table of the law is uh, on and how to what love for our neighbor looks like is this commandment of what love for uh, those in authority over us looks like. Just quickly, Jesus emphasizes this in a couple of places. If you have your Bible out, you can go with me to Matthew chapter uh, 22, verses 34 through 40. This is what Jesus says in speaking on the commandments. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher... 
which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. That is a direct quote from, from Scripture, from the Old Testament. It's this idea of love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And the second is like this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That also found in Deuteronomy. All on these two commandments depends all the law and the prophets. He's saying that all of the Old Testament law, Ten Commandments included, are summed up in these two realities. Love for God and love your neighbor. That's what Jesus is talking about when he says, love God, love neighbor. In a very real way, he's referencing the Ten Commandments. Because as soon as you say, okay, love God, love neighbor, what does that mean? What does that mean? It's become very popular in our in our church culture to say these things of love God, love neighbor. It's become very popular to say love God and love your neighbor as a sort of catchphrase. But the trouble comes in when we begin to define what love for God truly looks like and what love for neighbor entails. I said there's two places Jesus mentioned this. You can go to Mark chapter 12 as well. Mark chapter 12 verses 28 through 34, one of the scribes came up and hearing them disputing with one another and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, being Jesus, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind and all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Jesus emphasizing in the, the two tables of the law, what love for God looks like, what love for a neighbor looks like. But like I said, the trouble comes in when we begin to define what love for God and what love for neighbor actually looks like. Most progressive theologies leave the love for God categories kind of wide open. So it's something like this. Do you love God? Yeah. Pass. Okay. You, oh, good enough for us. You love God. You say you do. Um, are you a Christian? Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. Okay, then, then good enough. You're in. That you, you obviously love God because you claim to be a Christian. That's kind of the, that's, that's the litmus test. Do you confess? But we go to the Ten Commandments and we find that love for God has a specific context to it. It has a specific uh, requirements of have no other gods but the one true God. To worship this one true God, the right God, the right way. To not take his name in vain and to honor and keep his Sabbath. And then when it gets to further down what love for neighbor looks like, basically a lot of our positive uh, church culture and progressive church culture says love for neighbor just basically means affirming your neighbor in whatever they want to do with all their heart. And so if they want to do this and they're following their hearts and following their dreams, love for neighbor means affirming them and basically whatever they want to do. But the Ten Commandments has is much more specific on what love for neighbor actually does look like. And it begins right here with the fifth commandment breaks into this territory of how to love the neighbor by how we relate to the natural relationships that we have here on the earth. Where is the first place that God goes to when it comes to love for neighbor? Second table. We're now entering the second table. The first place that God goes to when it comes to love for neighbor is the family. The first place God goes to when it comes to love for neighbor is the family. Much could be said here. Much could be said. 
But suffice it to say that the Christian worldview puts the family at the center of society. What is the most important organism and organization in a culture, in the world? It is the family. If the family disintegrates, if the family is broken apart, if the family becomes broken and a mess and gets ruined, and if we as a culture begin to say family structure and family unity does not matter, it is a disintegration of the culture. If the family disintegrates, if the family is torn apart at its roots, children from their natural parents, that culture that affirms that is not far from its eventual demise. At the center of the family unit, then, is this principle of honor and respect for father and mother. I didn't look up a lot of, I mean, it wouldn't have taken long. I guess I could have done this, but how many stories are out there where you can just clearly see the the breakup and the demise of the family across our culture? The demise of, of children rebelling against parents and that being kind of okay. Like we want we want this disunity to be in, in the family. And the family unit's breaking apart and becoming all sorts of weird combinations of what the family is. But the family, when God is talking about love for neighbor, he starts it at in the home with respect for those who are in authority. Don't have too much, much more time to spin on that. Four implications from the command to honor your father and mother. Just four implications as we move along. At a surface level, this is very easy to understand. As an honor your father and mother, we kind of just take that out and I put obey in the word for honor, right? Obey your parents. Honor thy father and mother. To honor them is to obey them. And Paul says even this way in Ephesians 6, chapter 1, he says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. So this command does mean more than just obey, but it certainly does include obey. It includes obeying your parents. It does not mean less than obeying. If you have a mother and father, should we have a show of hands who has a mother and a father here? I know it was a lame joke. Can it crack a smile? Yes, we all do, right? We have a mother and father. If you have a mother and a father, this command obligates you to obey them while you are under their charge. There are a few littles in here. And that means you, little ones, this fifth commandment, yes, does apply to you. You are to, Luke, you listening? You are to honor your father and mother. And that means obey them while they are in, while you are under their charge. So, Ash and Joy, you list this is for you. The fifth commandment is for you to honor your father and mother. And it does mean obey them. That when they say, go to bed, clean your room, take your shower, don't hit your sister, things like Parents might say things like this, I don't know, that you are to obey them. And to disobey it is to break the fifth commandment. If you have a mother and father, this command obligates you to obey them while you are under their charge. Yes, children, if your parents tell you to do something and you refuse to do it, you are breaking the fifth commandment. You are breaking God's law that says to you to honor your father and mother and to obey them in the Lord, which is right. You are transgressing against God's good will for your life. Your parents are put there for your good and you are rebelling against God's good will for your life. Parents, so they're enough for kids. Parents, make sure your children obey. That, that it's not meanness to, ha- to make your kids listen to what you have to say. And I, it's ridiculous I have to say that, isn't it? But you do know that our culture, there is a thought out there 
that is about children just expressing their individuality. Don't crush their spirits. Don't, don't, you know, if they let them develop their own identity, their own thoughts, their own desires. You don't want to crush them. Let them express themselves. And it's a rebellion against the fifth commandment in a very real way that says, no, children are to honor their father and mother. They are to obey their parents. Parents, make sure your children obey. If they do not obey and you do not discipline them for it. So if you have a child, I've heard stories of this. There are sometimes kids, you tell them to do something and they don't obey you. I've heard stories of things like this. If you have children and they disobey you and you don't discipline them, You, parent, are failing at the fifth commandment. You're giving occasion for your child to not honor you and saying that it is okay. You are giving them occasion to break the fifth commandment. Now, as a caveat, there are a couple of instances where obedience to parents is not keeping the fifth commandment. I need to say, one example is if your parent is telling you to do something that is sinful, that is breaking of the other commandments, that is not what God would have you to do. If there's an abusive situation, the child is not obligated to, uh, in the Lord, obey the parent. If your parent is telling you to lie, to steal, to harm your neighbor, you're not obligated to violate all the other commandments with the excuse, well, the fifth commandment has said, I needed to obey my parent. And the second caveat is this. If you're a grown child and you have now parted from your family, you have done like what Genesis 2.24 says, that a, father, that a son will leave his father and mother and cling to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. He leaves his family unit and forms his own family unit. If that is you, you've come out from underneath your parents' care, you are not obligated to follow their commands. God tells us that a time comes when a man leaves his father and mother and he holds fast to his wife. In that case, they've created a new family unit, and upon entering adulthood, they are now responsible to make their own decisions, though it is not even then a bad idea to seek counsel from your parents, I would say that. But, moving on from obeying, the commandment is not less than obeying, but it certainly is more, because what word is actually used here? It isn't obey your parents, it is honor thy father and mother. The command is for more than just obey, it is that we would honor them. Obedience is included, but it is not the whole picture. Obedience can happen apart from honor, right? You can have obedience that doesn't involve honoring uh, your parents at all. So if you have a couple of kids and one of them smacks them on the head and you get after them, you say, I don't know why we do this as parents, but we can't stop ourselves. Apologize to your sister for, not your sister, apologize to your friend for hitting them. That you can't do that, go apologize to them. When the kid goes over and they spit out, I'm sorry. Were they obedient? Do they honor you? They were, they were kind of obedient, weren't they? Because they listened to you. You said, go say. And technically, the, the, the phrases and the noises came out of their mouth that said, I'm sorry. But were they really honoring you? They were being obedient, but there was no honor. There wasn't the spirit of, I want you to be remorseful for hitting this person. Go say you're sorry. Mean it. And they totally have no idea of, of, of honoring you at all. There's just this uh, grudging Obedience. That is not honoring. Honoring your father and mother has the emphasis that who they are, what they do, and what they say carries a weight that you respect. In fact, I would say that as an adult, there's actually a way to be disobedient to your parents' counsel in a way that is still honoring to them. So if you're a grown-up here and you have parents around and they tell you, I think you should do this, There's a way to be disobedient to their command while still honoring them. 
isn't there? That you're, I'm not taking your advice on this, but I respect your opinion. I'm here asking for it, and I respect you for it, and I give you honor in, in giving that to me. But, but uh, it does, you can have honor outside of being obedient if you're a grown child. This commandment does then apply to more than just the children who are still under their parents' care, but to all children, which would be all of us, to honor father and mother, to respect them, to hold them in high esteem. This is not just some commandment where God says, okay, we've done enough adult talk, let's have children's sermon for a commandment. All the kids come forward and we're going to have a little kid's time, honor your father and mother. Now go back and we're going to talk to the big people now. This is not God's uh, children's sermon in the midst of the Ten Commandments. It is to everyone that we are to honor our father and mother, that we are to give them respect, to hold them in high esteem, to give them the weight that they deserve as those who have given you life and taken care of you. He is speaking to all of his people throughout the generations. So we have, it is obey your parents. It's not less than that, but it is more than that. It is also honor your parents. And we're supposed to be gauging ourselves along these lines. Look back, not at just today. Look back with me, if you dare, all the way back to you can remember. You always obey your parents. Everything they told you to do, you did it. I mean, I... I my old school teachers and those who knew me as a kid know that I'm not doing well on the first commandment to just obey your children, obey your parents, obey your own father and mother. Fail. Uh, honor them. I mean, honestly, if you go back all the way, and now maybe you've grown up and you've matured and you work hard to honor your parents, but you ever obey them and not necessarily honor them, respect them, ever dismiss your parents, ever talk negatively about your parents behind their back to somebody else, guess what? That's dishonoring of your parents. Anyone guilty on any of these fronts, you are a fifth commandment breaker if this is you. But the implication is further than just father and mother. When that Psalm 119 says that your commandment is exceedingly broad, this would mean more than just father and mother, but then them as a representative stand-in for all authority in our lives. We are commanded to honor father and mother as children because in a very real way, they are the stand-ins for authority, for all authority in our lives, even God himself. St. Augustine says this, he asked this rhetorical question saying, if anyone fails to honor his parents, is there anyone he will spare? If anyone fails to honor his parents, is there anyone he'll honor? And the answer to that question is a pretty obvious, well, no. If you don't care to respect the people that gave you life, that took care of you, that changed your diaper, that fed you, kept you alive, if you have no desire to honor and respect them, the people who gave you life, how much easier will it come to dishonor those who didn't? The answer is no. If anyone fails to honor his parents, there is no one he will spare. Find a child who has no regard for their parents and the list is not long for those they actually do have regard for. There is implied within this command the obligation to behave and act honorably to all those who have authority. This would include employers, government officials, church leadership, presidents of organizations that you are in, and so on and so on and so on. Does this mean that you have to agree on everything with those you're in a relationship with and be obedient in that way? Not necessarily, but it does mean you should honor them. You should treat them in an honorable fashion. 2 Peter 2, verses 13 and 17 say, Submit yourself to the Lord's sake, for the Lord's sake, to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority. Show proper respect to everyone. 
love for the family of believers, fear God, and honor the emperor. You get caught up in this mindset in our culture. There are plenty of reasons to live dishonorably to those in authority over you. And it's usually celebrated and laughed at in our popular culture. And to participate in this way in any fashion is to break the fifth rebellion against authority. Rebellion against authority. Talking bad about the boss. Dishonoring them. Very fashionable. But at this point, hopefully, if you're honest with me, you're realizing I am not nailing the fifth commandment at all. Fourth, fourth implication, the last implication that I'm just going to emphasize here is that this is more than just the child-oriented commandment, as I said. It's not just a child's children's sermon. It isn't just for those who should do the obeying and the honoring. It isn't just for you in the, in the respect of you should honor and you should obey. It is also for parents and all authorities that are to be honored. There's an implied command that they carry and conduct themselves in a manner that is honorable. So the fifth commandment, one of the implications is not just that we should obey and honor, but that if we are the ones in authority, guess what? How about you act in a behavior in a way that's honorable? If you're, if you're the one that's in authority and you're asking your child to honor you, why don't you not make it a big stretch for them <laughs> to need to honor you in your ridiculous behavior. And this is really flying out of the window in our culture. And writing this this week and thinking on these things, just taking a few moments to talk about manhood in our culture. And I it just, because it's one of the things that just drives me crazy that what, what has become of manhood, of, of honoring father and mother, when the displays that we have of fatherhood have become so pathetic today. If you pick almost any TV show today, what's the role of the father? He's this bumbling, disinterested, inconsiderate, juvenile fool of a man. And we all sit down at our TVs and we watch this bumbling goof of a dad and laugh. This is what, ever since Married with Children, when I was in high school, that was what was on TV, Al Bundy. This is, this is what fatherhood is, this immature, ridiculous man. And we all sit and laugh. Isn't this funny? No, this is not funny. This is, this is, this is the decline of fatherhood. Prolonged adolescence is getting prolonged farther and farther. Men playing video games failing to marry and take care of those they pursue, failing to provide and raise the children they help create, failing to be involved in the discipline of their children in their households. And I could go on and on and on. And if I opened up the floor, we could probably go on and on of all the ways that people behave in a way that is dishonorable. All of these failures are failures to conduct themselves in an honorable way. And therefore, instances of breaking the fifth commandment. And this is to say nothing of the primary objective of fatherhood, which is this, to raise your children up in the admonition and instruction of the Lord, as Ephesians 6, 2 says. That fatherhood is to raise your children up in the fear, the discipline, and the instruction of the Lord. This is implied from the fifth commandment. I'm not going to beat up moms today. I just can't do it because I'm not a mom. <laughs> but, but to beat up on fathers a little bit, that, that this is the reality implied from the fourth, fifth commandment. That if your children are going to be expected to honor you, you should behave in a way that is honorable. 
Before we move on, just there's a promise attached to this. And I need to just say something on this because it does say here in verse 12, honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord God is giving you. This promise is that to those who keep this commandment, they will live long in the, in the land. And we could try to just dismiss this as not meaning temporal life, but as the children of Israel were receiving the, the promised land of Israel crossing the Jordan. We could say that so as Christians, we obey our father and mother. We honor God as the ultimate authority. We will inherit long life. We will inherit eternal life, which is actually true. But it, it does seem that Paul, when he quotes this in Ephesians, is saying that there is that includes it as a promise to even New Testament Christians that if you obey your, and honor your father and mother, you will live long in the land. What's going on there? I mean, it's a, it's a tough. We got I think we should rub, think about that a little bit because what does it mean? And so every child that dies young was it because mm-hmm. they didn't honor their parents? And and every child who lives to ninety and a hundred does that mean obviously they honor their parents because they lived long in the land? I mean, can we see at our face at face value that doesn't always add up? That cannot be what it means. One commentator puts it this way: it's 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 best answered by putting this category in a category of a general promise. Commentator says that promise that the obedient child would live long on the earth is a general promise, not an absolute promise. Children who learn obedience tend to live better lives and tend to live longer. Drug addicts, criminals, foolish and careless people tend not to live as well or as long as well-disciplined people. It's a general promise. It's not specifically in every case. This is how it's going to work. If you're faithful to raise your child right and they honor you, it's going to go great for them. That isn't always the way that it works out. But as a general rule, if a child is raised up with discipline, they will turn into a well-disciplined person, which leads to success in life. So then, four implications. Where do we sit? Crushed. How good are you? Are how good have you been at obeying your parents, honoring your parents, and then being an honorable parent? As every moment of your life, we played it back on a screen. You're like, yeah, that was honorable. Yeah, that's worth. People should give me more. Is every instance of your life have you lived in a way that deserves to be honored, or are you a fifth commandment breaker? You're a fifth commandment breaker. Humanity has been failing all five of the first ten commandments from the moment Adam and Eve rebelled. Think back with me to Adam and Eve. Way back there in the garden, God gives them this command not to eat of the, tree, of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They broke all five commands, bam, and we've been doing it ever since. They did not have the one true God as their God. They desired to become gods themselves. They didn't worship the one true God rightly. He said, don't eat this. What did they do? They went ahead and ate it. They took his name in vain. How? Well, if you'll read Eve's word, the command was not to eat the fruit. And Eve presumes to speak for God. And she says, God said we shouldn't eat the fruit, nor should we even touch it. She takes God's name in vain. She says something that God has not actually said. They don't rest in their God. They they try to achieve something for themselves by taking this fruit. They dishonor the Sabbath rest that is found in God alone by working to achieve. And they fifthly, they do not honor their father and mother. God as their creator, they dishonor him. For this, they are banished from the garden, from God's loving presence and from God's favor. And are we any better? No, not for a second. Not for a second are we any better than Adam and Eve, deserving to be banished from God's loving presence, from his 
from his glory and from his favor forever. We are not any better. We all sit under the just condemnation of a holy and righteous God. Is there anyone who can stand? Is there anyone who can stand before him? And you look around. Darren's kind of, I mean, I'm trying to beat up on you a little bit. No, no, no one can stand. No one here can stand. But is there anyone that can stand? Jesus shows up and he keeps all five. We'll keep going, all ten. He keeps all five of these commandments. He has no gods but the true God. He worships him rightly. He does not take his name in vain. He rests in the care of the Father so much that he works preaching and then he rests so secure he goes and he sleeps in a boat in the middle of a storm and rests and who is in the care of his Father. But not only these four, Jesus also keeps the fifth commandment, honoring his father and mother. There are two places where this specifically shows up in Scripture. You remember the story... We covered it in Luke where he goes to the temple and he gets left behind. He's, he's questioning the, the, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law about what's going on. He's, he's, he's kind of schooling the teachers of the law. Mary and Joseph come back and they, they're looking for him. Luke chapter 2 verse 51 says once they find him and bring him back. But you got to – that story, people have spent it all kinds of different ways. But really, if you have a disobedient child, do you lose track of them for any time at all? Like if you have a child who is perpetually disobedient, running off, doing the wrong thing, you, you've got them on a leash. You, you've got them on lockdown. You've got three people assigned to this kid to make sure he doesn't take off. Jesus is gone for a day. They're not even concerned about it until they finally go to bed at night. And they're like, where did, where did that kid who's always as obedient, where did he go to? <laughs> this, I figured he was here. Of course he's here somewhere. He never, he's never off anywhere else. Jesus has this reputation with his family of always being obedient. They don't even realize he's gone for a whole day. But he goes, they go back and they find him. Chapter 2, verse 51 of the Gospel of Luke. He went down, they come and find him. Verse 51, he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. Jesus Christ, God incarnate, in the flesh, comes to earth and guess what? He's obedient to his parents. He's submissive to his parents. He fulfills the fifth commandment. And you go to the end of the Gospel of John, chapter 19. It's this interesting passage. The Catholics take this passage in a totally crazy direction, in my opinion. John 19, verse 26, speaking to John the disciple about his mother Mary. John 19, verse 26 uh, he says, when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. Jesus dying on the cross keeps the fifth commandment. He's, he's shedding his own blood for the redemption of the sins of the world. And what does he do in that moment? He says, you take my mom home with you. Take care. This My mother is now your mother. Take care of her. See that she has taken care of. He keeps the fifth commandment from the cross. What are we going to do with this? Is this just good news for Jesus? Okay, Darren, we've all broke it. Jesus kept it. Good for him. All right, way to go, Jesus. Is this just good news for him? No. Christ perfectly fulfilled the law and yet bore the wrath of God. He did this to absorb the wrath of all those who would believe in Him, their sin being imputed to Him and bore away. He lives the perfect, righteous, the perfect, obedient life 
so that all who believe in him would have his righteousness then imputed to them. It's what first what first Corinthians or second Corinthians 5:21 means when it says God made him who knew no sin that being Jesus. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. When we confess ourselves as sinners, Come to communion this morning. Hopefully, my desire is that you're coming confessing yourself to be a sinner. I am a fifth commandment breaker. When we come, when we confess ourselves as sinners, repenting of our transgressions, looking to Christ as our substitute and as our righteousness earner, we are forgiven of our sins. As you sit crushed by the fifth commandment, what Christ has done for you is he has taken your deserved condemnation upon himself And then by faith, given to you his perfect righteousness so that when you trust in Christ, though you all in a very real way are fifth commandment breakers, when God looks at you through the lens of his son, Jesus Christ, he sees, yes, this, my child, is righteous. This, my my child, is righteous. God sees us. He sees the perfect righteousness of his son within us, given to us, and is therefore pleased with us. This is doctrine with teeth. This is doctrine with practicality. This is theology that if we understand, bursts into doxology. Praise to God. What are you going through? What's going on in your life? Where are you placing your hope? When everything breaks down around you and you feel alone and abandoned by God even, where can you turn? Where can you turn? Let me tell you where you can turn. You turn right here to the work of your Savior on the cross for your behalf. You look to the Son You despair of yourself and you trust in him. I'm not here to make myself righteous. I'm not here to impress God with who I am. I am here to plead reliance upon the one who lived the life I should have lived and died the death that I deserve so that through repentance and faith in him, I am forgiven. Breaking all five every second of I mean, my life since I was born. I come out of the womb sinning against my parents and against God. And I am standing here today forgiven Not by my merits, but by the merits of another one. Look to the Son. Despair of yourself and trust in Him. him And stop questioning, Christian, does God care for you? Indeed, He does. Yes, He cares enough to wash you clean and make you His own forever. Let's pray. Father, I pray that this would hit us like the wallop of good news that it is. that we can look to you and rest secured and all that shakes and quivers and moans and terrifies us around us, all the questions we have, all the worries we have, all the anxieties we have, we do not know what tomorrow holds, but we know what our ultimate future does hold for those who are made righteous in your son, Jesus Christ. Our ultimate future holds nothing but eternal joy in your presence forever. And God, may that be the place where we anchor our hope, the hope that is in your Son, Jesus Christ, and in him alone. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.